Good evening and welcome again. We're glad that you're back tonight. We're, great, we're grateful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. I do want to express appreciation to those of you that are visiting. We always want you to feel as if you are an honored guest. We count you as an honored guest. And we'd love to have you come back and be with us again at your next opportunity. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20 tonight as we think about the church at Ephesus. And specifically in our study tonight, we want to talk about Paul's great love for the church at Ephesus and his labors among them. And so as we look at chapter 20, I want us to begin in verse 17, and our study tonight is going to take us down through verse 32, because in these verses, the Apostle Paul, in a very explicit way, talks about his work among them. He warns them about some things. And then he gives them some words of wisdom. And so we're going to be looking at, at these things as we study from the 20th chapter of the book of Acts tonight. And I would invite you to follow along in our study together. Let's begin as we think about the church at Ephesus and what Paul has to say to the elders specifically of the church at Ephesus. As we begin our study, of course, in verse 17... Luke, in his narration of Paul's missionary efforts, tells us that while in Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he began to go over a number of things with them. So the first thing I want us to do is think for a minute or two about his work. And as we look at his work, the time that he spent with them, there are two specific things I want to call attention to. First of all, I think about his persecutions, and then secondly, his preaching. Note, if you would, what Paul says regarding the persecutions that he endured for the cause of Christ. And really, when you begin to look at this text and as you think about his labors while in Asia, it's interesting that he talks about the persecutions from the past, that is, those persecutions that were behind him, and then he talks about the persecutions that are before him. So here's what he says, beginning in verse 18. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. Paul here recounting the fact that he had shed tears, as well as faced a number of tribulations. And you can go back and you can read Paul's missionary endeavors, and you'll see that the Jews on many occasions were a literal thorn in his side. And yet Paul had a great love for his spiritual kinsmen, that is, his Jewish brethren. But then note also what he says about the trials, the persecutions that awaited him. Down in verse 22, here's what he said. And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. When you think about the horizon before Paul, it's not very encouraging from one vantage point, because the Holy Spirit testified to him as he recounts to the elders of the church, that chains and tribulations awaited him. How do you like to have that kind of future? But then note what he says. 
In verse 24, Paul said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I think what Paul is saying here is this. If it be the case that he were to die in service to the Lord, then so be it. Paul wasn't concerned about his physical welfare. He was, be, he was willing to be used. Sometimes we talk about individuals who are willing to be spent in service to the Lord. Paul's saying, look, if I have to die for the cause of Christ, for the advancement of the cause, then so be it. I do not count my life dear to myself. I was thinking about that passage in light of 20th century living, specifically about how it relates to the church. It's somewhat discouraging in a way to think that there are people within the body of Christ that wouldn't walk across the street literally to serve the Lord because they're not committed. And yet Paul is saying, look, I'm ready to die for the cause. This morning, I was thinking about the rain and the storms that were blowing in. And I thought, you know what? It's probably going to impact our attendance today. And you know what? It did. Now, I understand that there are some people that have legitimate excuses for not attending services. But there are some folks, they lack, they lack heart. They lack desire, commitment. I mean, the bottom line is just not there. I mean, it's just not, it's just not present in the lives of some disciples. They're not committed. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. And listen, we don't deny ourselves very much in this world. For the most part, whatever we see, whatever we want, we get, don't we? But when it comes to spiritual things, maybe the, maybe the case is there's just not an inclination there for spiritual things. We're not interested in the work. We're not interested in worship. We're not interested in the cause overall. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and you see somebody that's willing to die for the cause, it ought to shame some people. Just my thoughts. Because you see, I have wondered from time to time, what could I say, what passage could I cite that would make a difference in the lives of some people? What would it take for some people to be present every time the doors are open? What would it take for some people to be involved in the work of the church, to put the kingdom first? Listen, if you've got some suggestions and they're biblical, I'd like to hear them. This is not something new. Since I've been preaching, it has been a constant battle. It will always be a battle. Because you see, the devil is vying for our attention. 
And he's winning in the lives of some people. He's winning in the lives of some of God's people. But you look at the life of Paul, and I hear him tell Timothy, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul lived it. When the Lord appeared to Ananias prior to his conversion in Acts chapter 9, verse 16, Ananias, of course, when the Lord told him to go to Saul of Tarsus and talk to him, he said, wait a minute, Lord, I've heard by many about this guy. I know his reputation. But Jesus said he is a chosen vessel of mine. He said, I'm going to show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Are we, are we willing to be used for the cause of Christ? To the extent that we'll do anything, go anywhere, pay whatever price. But then think about his preaching. Not only does Paul talk about his persecutions, and he spent some three years among these people, but he identifies his preaching. Now first I want you to think with me about the arenas where he preached. Listen if you would in verse 20. Paul said, I kept back nothing that was helpful or profitable but proclaimed it to you. And then here's what he says. He said, I taught you, number one, publicly. And number two, he said, I taught you from house to house. Paul here is saying that his ministry was both public and private. Wherever there was, a, wherever there was a, an opportunity for him to share the gospel of Christ, then he was present. Paul wanted to do everything within his power to dispense the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying world. Now, what about the aim of his preaching? Was there an objective in his preaching? I think there was. Let me just cite for you some of the reasons why I believe the Apostle Paul preached and why he preached to those in Ephesus. Number one, Paul sought to save the souls of men. Here's what he says in verse 21. Testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was interested in the souls of people. He would say to the church at Corinth, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. Paul would say to the church at Corinth, we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus our Lord and ourselves as your servants for his sake. Paul was interested in in the souls of people. Let me ask this question. How interested are we in the souls of people? Did you know that in the sight of Almighty God, one soul is precious? Every soul is precious. But if there were only one person, that one person would be of utmost value in the eyes of God. Paul, in writing to the saints at Rome, said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, Paul was interested in sharing the gospel of Christ. He did it over and over again. I wonder sometimes how many people were led to Christ through his efforts. Paul impacted a lot of people in his short life. There's a second reason why Paul preached, a second objective or aim, and that is he sought to strengthen the souls of men or saints. Drop down and look if you would 
at what he says in verse 27. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. One of the things that we're interested in as children of God is spiritual growth. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As a newborn baby, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he would say, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The only way that people are going to be strengthened, spiritually speaking, is by being built up, if you please, in God's word. God's word has the ability to strengthen the soul. Paul in Ephesians 4.14 talks about those who are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Well, it's important that people be grounded in the truth of Almighty God. It's imperative that we preach and teach the fundamentals of the faith. You remember when Jesus gave the Great Commission? In Matthew 28, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth or end of the age. The idea is that we ground people in God's word. That's what builds spiritual strength and stamina. That's what gives us grit and determination, perseverance, if you please, to stay faithful to Almighty God. And then there's a third reason that I believe Paul preached. And that is to secure the souls of men. That is to give them a sense of security. Look, if you would, at what he says in verse 31. Therefore watch, and remember, he's talking to the elders here, that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Paul's desire, his ultimate goal was to secure people in the faith so that they would not lose their faith, have their faith subverted, circumvented, whatever term you want to use. The idea is he wanted to secure them, and one of the ways that you do that is warn people about the impending dangers that are always lurking about. And so Paul preached to save. He preached to strengthen. He preached to to secure. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study, and that is his words of warning. I think about the threats that they faced as a congregation of God's people. And Paul, in a very explicit way, talks about the threats that were facing them. So first I want you to consider with me the danger. And Paul talks about the danger that they were facing. Drop down and look at verse, look at verse 29. In verse 29, Paul said to the elders of the church, for I know this, that after my departure, savage or grievous wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. First of all, there was a danger from without. Then secondly, there was a danger from within. In verse 30, he said, also from among yourselves. Men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Is it not the case that there are dangers to our spiritual health and safety? Yes, there are. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1 at verse 3, 
that he left Timothy in Ephesus to charge some that they teach no other doctrine. There are a lot of folks out here that teach things that do not coincide with divine truth. And Paul is saying, look, there are dangers lurking from without and there are dangers lurking within. Now when I read the New Testament and I begin to look at the church at Ephesus, nothing is said explicitly about any type of error that made its way into the church, by and large. Paul's warnings here did not go unheeded because in Revelation chapter two, when Paul wrote, or rather when the Lord Jesus Christ surveyed the church at Ephesus, he said, you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And he said, you have found them to be liars. Did you know that there are folks today that claim to be apostles? I've seen some on television. They claim to be apostles. That's interesting. Because the Bible says that an apostle was an eyewitness of the Lord. Now either they were an eyewitness of the Lord or they weren't. A second thing is, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, Paul talks about the signs of an apostle were wrought among you with all perseverance, with signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Apostles had the ability to perform the miraculous. There are folks today that claim to be able to heal disease, perform any number of miraculous activities. The bottom line, they're shysters. There's not a man or woman on earth that can perform a miracle. That age has long since ceased. I like what John Shannon said one time. He said, if you can perform miracles, let's go to the cemetery. He said, by faith, you tell them to stand up, and by faith, I'll tell them to stay down. the signs of an apostle. There are folks within the church and there are a lot of people without, or rather on the outside of the church that say it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you believe. They discount the importance of divine truth. Does it matter what we believe? John said, whoever goes on and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ has not God. Doctrine's important. What I believe is important. What I submit to by way of doctrine is extremely important. If it were not important, why would Paul tell Timothy to charge some that they teach no other doctrine? Did you know that there are people in the world today that say it really doesn't matter? Really doesn't matter who you follow. You want to follow Jesus? That's okay. You want to follow Muhammad? That's okay. You want to be a follower of Buddha? That's okay too. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Luke would say, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Jesus, during his earthly ministry, said, Beware of false prophets. He said, Inwardly, they are savage wolves. There are some folks that love to prey on unsuspecting souls. And there are some who claim to be members of the body of Christ that teach things that do not harmonize with scripture. Paul's telling the elders of the church, look, from among your own selves, men are gonna arise and they're going to teach perverse things. Second Timothy chapter two, Paul talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus. He said, who concerning the truth have erred, teaching that the resurrection is already passed. And he said, they overthrow the faith of some. That's the danger of false doctrine. It can destroy your faith. That's why the apostle Paul was telling the elders of the church at Ephesus to be on guard. There was a, there was a lurking danger. But what about, what about their duty? Listen, if you would, to what he says in verse 31. Therefore, in light of the fact that there are savage wolves within and without the body, he said, here's what you need to do. Watch. Why, Paul? Because for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. He tried to warn them. One of the jobs that we have as preachers and teachers of the gospel is to warn people. To warn people to examine what God says. How do we do that? We go to his book, don't we? Don't ever take what somebody says just because, just because they're likable or because they may seem believable. Investigate what you hear with what is recorded in scripture. The Bible says that the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. And by the way, the Bereans were searching the scriptures in light of what the apostle Paul had taught. Paul was an inspired apostle. And yet they checked him out. All I'm saying is make sure that what, what you believe is found in scripture. Make sure that you read it in black and white. We ought to always bring God's word to services. We ought to take notes if we can. Write it down. Go back home. Investigate what you hear. One of the reasons that we publish the notes to the lessons is, is to be used as a study aid. But the idea is to take what is said and look at it in light of God's holy word. And so Paul is saying, watch, be careful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, Paul would say, watch. And then he said, stand fast in the faith. How is it that we as children of God can stand fast in the faith? We've got to be people of the book, don't we? Remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Do you know what churches of Christ have to offer people today? 
In, a, in the midst of a lost and dying world, what is our calling card? What is it that we have to offer the world? Truth. God's word. That, that's, what, that's what we have to offer people. Our goal is to share the gospel. So when we talk to people, when we sit down and study with them, we're saying, look, check it out. Because as members of the body of Christ, we're, doing, we're striving to do our best to stay strong in the faith, to stand fast in the faith. The only way we can do that is to be rooted in Scripture, to know the book inside and out. Now there's a third thing I want you to see in our study, and that has to do with some words of wisdom given by the Apostle Paul, specifically in verse 28 and following. Paul here is talking to the elders of the church. And so he's gonna, he's gonna in a very, I guess in a very concise way, talk about the task that lay ahead. First of all, there were some internal responsibilities to self. Here's what he said, therefore take heed to yourselves. Paul wanted them to take heed to self. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul would say, take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine and continue in them. For in so doing, you'll save both yourself and them that hear you. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves. Nothing wrong with introspection. Looking candidly at your life. We, all, we always ought to put our life under a microscope and ask the question, am I living up to the ideals that are set forth in Scripture? But then there are some external responsibilities that are given by Paul. Listen to what he says. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. Their first responsibility was to self. Their second responsibility was to the saints. Because you see, the elders are the overseers of the church. They are the pastors. They are the shepherds. And they have been given a responsibility. The gravity of that responsibility is reflected in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, where the Bible says that they must give an account for the souls under their oversight. You want to talk about responsibility. To think that elders are going to stand before Almighty God and give an account of the spiritual welfare of the members under their oversight. So here's what, here's what Paul says to the elders of the church. He said, you take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God or to feed the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus care about the church? You better know he does. You know why he cares about the church? Because he purchased it with his own blood. The church is the blood-bought body of Christ. He loved the church and the Bible says he gave himself for it in Ephesians 5 verse 25. The Lord Jesus is extremely concerned about the church. He's concerned about the church universally and locally. 
And so in a local setting, specifically the church at Ephesus, Paul is telling these elders, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you feed the church of God. You need to make sure that they have a balanced diet of God's holy word. Now there's a reason for that. A couple of reasons, really. Let me just pause here and say this. How can a church be properly fed? Two things. Number one, they need to hear the Bible. They need biblical preaching and teaching. Number two, they need balanced preaching and teaching. So listen again to what Paul said. In verse 26, he said, I testify to you that, I'm not, that I am innocent, rather, of the blood of all men. In verse 27, he said, I've not shunned, I've not avoided to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Biblical preaching requires God's servant to preach the gospel in season and out of season. That means, as Brother Keeble used to say, you preach it when people like it and when they don't like it. When you go to the doctor, and you have health problems. Let's just imagine that you go to the doctor and you have hypertension and you're overweight. What do you think the doctor's gonna say? Probably he's gonna say, you need to lose some weight. How's that gonna go over? Well, if you like to eat, it's not gonna go over very well. You wanna live? If you want to live, what are you going to do? You're going to lose some weight. You're going to get on a diet. There are some folks that have a love affair with the cafeteria. They really do. They love the food bar. Well, when people like that are in a doctor's office, the doctor's looking at the chart, and he's saying, you know what? There's a problem here. You've got high blood pressure, you're overweight, you don't exercise. So here's what you need to do. You need to get on a diet. You need to make sure that, you are, that you're eating healthy foods. That means no grease, no salt, etc. all the things that you like. Then you need to start exercising. When you leave, what's in your mind? Well, I'd like to knock that guy out. I can't believe he told me that. Listen. He's telling you that for your own benefit, for your own good. When we preach the gospel, I understand there are some things that are difficult to preach and teach and to accept. In John chapter 6, when Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life, the Bible says that many of those people said, this is a hard saying, this is a difficult saying. Who can understand it? And John went on to say in verse 66 by way of commentary that many of them went back and walked no more with him. Why? They didn't like what they heard. And many of those people didn't like what they saw either. So we have the responsibility of preaching the truth. I am grateful that the elders of this church want the truth preached. And they want the whole counsel of God proclaimed. 
There are a lot of places you can't do that. But please listen very carefully. If you don't preach the whole counsel of God, the church suffers. Individual Christians suffer. Just like taking medicine. There are some medicines that we would just as soon not have to take, but we take them for our well-being. Well, God's word is a prescription for how we are to live in life. Now, we preach biblically and we preached, we are to preach balanced. Balanced preaching. Listen again to what Paul said. I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. The counsel of God would be that which is biblical. The whole counsel of God would be balanced preaching. As Paul said, you reprove, you rebuke, and you exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. You just keep preaching and teaching. Now, why do we do that? What are the byproducts of that? Number one, it will build a congregation. When God's word is proclaimed faithfully in the classroom and in the pulpit, the church will be built up. Not long ago, I was reading some websites of some congregations in the Tennessee area. Let me tell you what. There are some folks out, there are some folks out there in our brotherhood. And I want to say this as kindly as I know how. They wouldn't know the truth if it hit them in the face. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth. You just wouldn't believe some of the things that they are advocating, some of the things that they are proclaiming. Unbelievable. Paul said in verse 32, in his closing remarks to these people, to these elders, and now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up The word able. Paul said, I commend you to God, to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That word able is the same word that's used in Romans 1.16 when Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. All he's saying is God's word has the ability or the power to build you up. Faithful preaching and teaching will build a congregation. And number two, it will bless a congregation. How do I know that? Listen to what he says in verse 32. He said, it's able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What are we in this thing for? We want to go home to be with God one day, don't we? We have an inheritance. It is called by Peter a place that we love. It's heaven. He said... That inheritance is incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away, and he said it's reserved in heaven for you. When we preach and teach the word of God, we bless the lives of people. Why? Because we encourage, we comfort, we counsel, we warn, we correct. We're trying to reach people with the gospel of Christ. We're trying to connect with people. Because what we want most of all is to see people in heaven. That's what this whole thing's about. We want to go to heaven. We want to take people with us. So I ask you tonight, are you going to heaven? Are you on the road 
to heaven. When you look at the church at Ephesus, two things stand out to me. Number one, Paul labored among these people for three years. And number two, Paul loved these people. He loved them. And because he loved them, he spent time with them. The Lord loves you. The Lord is interested in you as a human being because you have an eternal soul that will live forever. I'm grateful for the church here at Olive Branch. We're not perfect. And we have a long way to go. And I will freely admit, we got some folks that in all candor aren't where they need to be. But you know what? We just keep preaching and teaching. We keep pushing on. Because we can't give up. We can't throw in the towel. We've got to march forward. When the Apostle Paul preached the gospel of Christ, he had confidence in that message. He believed it would do what God intended it to do. That was to save, to strengthen, and to secure. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, would you come to Christ believing that Jesus is the Son of God? Do what Paul did. Paul said, Ananias instructed him to arise and be baptized to wash away his sins. If you'll do that, God will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. And if you'll live faithfully until death, the Lord will bestow on you the crown of life to Stephanos one day, and you'll be in heaven forevermore. Can you imagine that? A million years from now, you know where we'll be? In eternity. And if the Lord delays his coming, a million years from now, we'll be in paradise. If the Lord were to come, then we'll be in heaven, and we want you to be there with us. So if you're unfaithful, come home tonight as we stand and sing.